You're listening to another New Hope Chapel podcast. This message is from our series on Romans, presented by Steve Coleman. Have you ever found it impossible to keep all the rules when you've been somewhere? Where's the grass that I'm supposed to keep off of? Or you found that the rules made it impossible to obey? Or how about just being really confused? Any person committing a nuisance will be prosecuted. I think just being there, I violate things. I don't know. Uh, And then just make sure you do not make cucumber. Well, Paul talks about the law and, uh, and the difficulties of the law and our relationship now with the law. And that's what we're going to be covering here in Romans 7. Our relationship to the law. Now, we're, we're in a particular context in Romans, and I'm not going to go all the way back to chapters 1, 2, and 3. That's old news. But in this particular larger section of Romans, sort of chapter 4 up to this point, uh, Paul has been giving us the pure meat, the, um, the blunt truths of what salvation is about. In chapter 4, he talked about the necessity, the requirement for faith in order to be justified. Justified means being declared righteous only through faith. In chapter 5, and uh, Bill handled the very difficult section in 5, I think I spoke on the first half of 5, but that has all of the sort of behind the scenes, almost the mechanisms, if you will, of what Christ's sacrifice on the cross, how that sort of fit into the scheme and make salvation possible. Then chapter 6, Paul says, okay, that being true, here's a couple of questions we've got to, got to deal with. Number one, he says, well, if God's grace covers all, should we continue to sin so that grace can increase all the more? Because his point in five was, look, sin's out there and it's bad, The worse sin is, the more sin there is, God's grace just gets more and gets deeper and gets fuller. It just overflows. So that's the question Paul brings up in 6. And Scott handled both messages on 6 and and did show us what Paul's answer was. No, we've died to sin. How can we continue to live in it? You should count yourself dead to sin because that's the truth of, of it. And live in that way. The second question Paul asks in chapter 6. Well then shall we sin because we're no longer under the law but under grace? Because Paul had made the point that we're not under the law anymore. Grace is the rule. And again, Scott had provided us with Paul's answer as well. No, you are now free from sin's control. Don't choose again to obey sin like a slave. Choose to obey God. The example he used right at the end of chapter 6 is one of slavery. And he used that metaphor to say, you were slaves to sin. You're now free from that, so be careful what you choose. You have the chance now to choose righteousness and holiness. You're not a slave anymore. That's that count yourself dead to sin. Well then, moving on to chapter 7, which is what we're covering today, the first 
13 verses or so of chapter 7. Paul continues that thought, the, main, the general thought of being dead to sin, and he focus, but he focuses in specifically on the law. And he says right there in verse 1, Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives. Now, the, the readers of this epistle, the, the first readers, the first century readers who were reading this, were the Christians in Rome. And they were a mixed bag of Gentile believers and Jewish believers. And so Paul's writing to a dual audience. Uh, he wants to spend some more time talking about the law. And so here he's specifically sort of saying, now, those of you that are Jews, and, you have, and you've grown up thinking about the wor- world in terms of God's law and those that don't obey God's law and so on, let me talk specifically about the law. And that's why this section is uh, about our relationship to the law. He gets very specific. Well, he uses a different example than slavery, although he sort of borrows that metaphor as we go through chapter 7 here. But he uses the example of marriage. And he says, for example, a married man or woman is bound to his spouse. You're under the law. And uh, it's certainly true uh, at a state level these days. There's a marriage law, so you get married. And what that means is certain things are true. And there are certain things you cannot do if you're married. You're not free to go seek another relationship, another person to marry. That's against the law. You're bound to this person. But then he says, if the spouse dies, now you're free from that law of marriage that bound you. Now you can pursue another relationship and get married to another person. So he takes this metaphor and he uses that to... um, Tie in, uh, tie in to this relationship we have with the law. It's the same general point. He, and he, so he goes on here in the first section to talk about how that metaphor works. And then he says, so my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ. That you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. Now, he's got uh, some pronouns in here. Uh, What he's saying is, we, our relationship with sin, we were bound to sin. We were slaves to sin, as he said in chapter 6. We're bound to sin under this metaphor, and that's been abolished. That That bond has been abolished because we died in Christ. And that's that through the body of Christ part. So because of that, we're now released from the law. We're dead to the law. As far as the law is concerned, we're we're not in the picture. We're gone. And we might belong to another. That is, instead of being bound to sin, we might belong to Christ. That's that choosing to be a slave to Christ. In order that we might bear fruit to God. We'll talk more about that fruit as he develops it a little later on. So the human condition is that we were married to or bound to sinful desires and we were slaves of sin. And in that condition, Paul says uh, in the earlier verse that the only thing that came from that is that we bore fruit 
that resulted in death. There was nothing good that came out of us being bound to sin, being a slave to sin. Everything that we produced was rank. Everything was corrupted. Everything was rotted. But now we're dead to sin and released from the law so that we can belong to another. Now, there's one other phrase in here, Romans, uh, of this verse we just looked at. I have it in red there. Now, he's, he's saying, to him who was raised from the dead. He always plants these little references to connect you back with chapter 5. And the fact that, yes, when I was talking about how salvation works, how you are justified, that's the process that dissolves the bond with sin means you can count yourself dead to sin, means you have a choice and you can choose to follow God. You know, after high school, I did my bachelor's degree at a Bible college. It was a college, to be sure, but you need to think boarding school when you imagine it so you can get the flavor of the place. We had to dress in coats and ties for dinner. Not my favorite thing. Uh, we had mandatory study hours, a 10.30 p.m. curfew, and a room inspection. Unbelievable. <laughs> you know, many students were very careful about these rules, and they sailed through without a single demerit. I never cared much for the rules, and I tended to rack up a lot of demerits. In one semester, in a system where a 1,000 demerits got you expelled from school, and 700 demerits ended up on your permanent record, a notation on your permanent record. I got 680 demerits. (laughs) Apparently, the threat of that change to my permanent record was enough for me to restrain my carefree ways. But an interesting thing happened, has happened since I've graduated. For the last 30 years, I've never had to be in my room by 10.30. How good is that? And no one's inspected my room to see if my bed making was up to standards. Not one single demerit from anyone. Because I'm no longer bound by those rules. My relationship to the school has been resolved, uh, dissolved. It doesn't exist anymore. So the student handbook and those rules do not apply to me anymore. I'm actually free to not make my bed. And you can check with my wife. And she'll support me on that. Well, just like I'm free from Bible college rules, God says those who believe in Jesus participate in his death, and therefore, they're free from the law. And he says, by now, by dying to what once bound us, sin, we've been released from the law, so that we may serve in a new way, in the new way of the spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. That's an interesting way to say it. Because we died to that thing that bound us, God says the law has been abolished. We're released from that, and we're now free to serve God and bear good fruit for God, as compared to that poisonous fruit that we had no option but to produce before. He says a new way. We serve in a new way. That should bring to mind 
when Christ was talking about the vine and the branches. The way we serve now has to do with our connection to God, our relationship to God. That's how the fruit's going to come. We don't serve by saying, oh, okay, what, what sacrifices do we have to go and present this week? What do we have to commemorate at this time? When do we have to fast? When do we have to sit at home and not work so we can be symbolically reflecting uh, uh, God's set-apartness? The other thing that comes with this new way is that you need to think transformation. Transformation for us. Other places of the Bible elaborate on this and talk about we're being changed into His image. It talks in Galatians about the fruit of the Spirit that's going to be developed in us. Well, what is that? That's the character of Christ. And that we should be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And there's a a second type of transformation. That is, those people with whom we'll come in contact with in our, in our daily lives. They will be transformed because of our new way of serving. The Bible elaborates on that too. He says, whatever you do to the least of these, you do to me. Doing those things to others is our service to Christ. It's replacing the service and the requirements of the law. We're given the ministry of reconciliation, Paul writes elsewhere, too. Uh, We're supposed to encourage each other daily, lest anyone is hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So God uses us as we serve him as an encouragement to others to help them in their relationship with Christ. In summary, Paul's saying we're dead to sin, and we're alive... um, We're released from the law, and we have a new way of serving. That's what he gets at in these first six verses of chapter 7. The change in our relationship to sin, which he's already elaborated on in 6, but our change in the law and the way we serve God. Well, in verse 7, Paul returns to his question and answer technique he was using in 6, and he used it earlier in the book of Romans too. And he says, asks the, poses the question, are you saying that the law is or was sinful? And Paul says, certainly not. Paul goes on and, and describes the fact that the law showed us what sin was. It, sin took the opportunity afforded by the law to come out in full bloom. The law provided us a real look at the sin that plagues the human race. It's sort of as if, if you remember that commercial of the deodorizing spray, where they lead people into this like disgusting apartment and everything's filthy and there's old stuff and rotting food and all that, and they've spritzed around this deodorizer and they have these people blindfolded and they say, what does it smell like? And they say, a fresh mountain breeze. And then, then they have them take off the blinders let the light in and they see the disgusting place they've been sitting in. That's what the law was meant to do, was to show us sin. And Paul even says, sin took took advantage of the opportunity of the law coming to just become worse and worse. And that's what Paul's getting at here. The law brought sin to light, and more than that, it brought it to life. 
So I've, I've set you up for this one section, which is kind of a real interesting set of, of verses that Paul has. And he, said, he takes a different tone, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but he says, once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity, deceived me, and through the commandment, put me to death. I don't think Paul's talking about himself. I think he's using a mechanism, uh, a, a, a literary device, to talk about the process that the, and, and what happened to the human race. First of all, I don't think Paul was... That, Paul was without sin early in his life, that he was apart from the law. Paul never had that experience. Uh, as it says in chapter 5 in Romans, he grew up, sin had already come in and contaminated uh, the whole human race. Everyone was subject to death. Everyone was under that. So he's talking sort of metaphorically about the time the human race was, with, was without sin. And then the commandment came. And then sin sprang to life and died. And I'm going to take a minute and let's walk through that. I think you have to go back to Genesis to pick up the things that he's talking about here. Once the human race was alive apart from the law. And Paul makes that point. Without the law, there isn't sin to put on. Well, what? And then he said the commandment. When the commandment came, spring... Sin sprang to life and I died. What was the first commandment? Yeah. God said, and, and let me give you, God said, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now it describes a little bit of the Garden of Eden. I'll come back to that. Um, exactly right. So the commandment came. Then sin sprang to life and I died. The human race in Adam died because they violated that commandment. And Paul's saying, we found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. Now think about this for a minute. They did, it, the description of, of the Garden of Eden there, it says there was this garden and it was full of every kind of tree and things, things to eat. And in the middle of the garden, there was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. There were two trees in the middle of the garden. And God says, the commandment, you can eat of anything you want to in the garden, but don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This didn't really happen, but it's almost in my mind's eye, like you have the two trees where those two um, wreaths are. So you have the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God's over here saying, now you can eat of any of the trees in the garden, but don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It says the commandment that was intended to bring life. I think the viable choice for Adam and Eve was to take of the tree of life and all the other things to eat in the garden of Eden. But no, sin sprang to life. And because of that, and he even says in the last verse, sin seizing the opportunity deceived me and through the commandment produced death. Don't eat of the tree or you will surely die. And that's what Adam and Eve did. 
So Paul's sort of giving us, I think, this sort of uh, his, um, glimpse, this snapshot of theologically what he means by the fact that the law uh, ended up bringing death because it brought sin to light and brought sin to life. Well, the bottom line of these few verses is the law is not sin in itself. He says the law is good. And I'm not going to go to elaborate on what he says on that side of it, but he said the law allowed sin to be known and revealed. So in summary of the whole, this whole set of verses here, we can say that if you had to boil it all down to a couple of phrases, we're dead to sin. It's a message of six, and it was carried over to seven here. We're released from the law. That's the point he's really driving home here in chapter seven. And we have a new way of serving. Not the old way of the written law, but the new way of the Spirit, as he says. Now, um, I want to show you an illustration of this idea that the law helped us see sin. And uh, so I'm going to show you a chemical reaction through YouTube. And uh, in this chemical reaction, you know, I have to be... I have to be careful as a speaker. You have to make sure that you speak and everybody in the congregation really understands what you're doing and they, they get the point, that it's clear for them. So, just on behalf of the one or two people in this congregation that understands chemistry, this is what I'm going to show you. <laughs> now for the rest of us. <laughs> There's a YouTube video. Wow. See, it was burning our eyes. We couldn't look at that. But uh, mer- mercury, I needed it up there to see, say what it was. Mercury uh, thiocyanate, is that what it was? Yeah. Which is, a, which is a harmless, wonderful little white powder. Well, it's not harmless, but it's a little white powder. How bad is a, how bad is a little white powder? But you put heat to it. This is like sin, and you... You bring the law in. The law is like the heat that's brought in here. And so the video's going. And you'll see the reaction. The person's still dumping in more of this good stuff. Don't do this at home. <laughs> Notice the big thick gloves the person's using to spoon this in here. And here's the heat and the reaction that happens. For us, when the law came, The reaction there meant that we see sin for what it is. And sin takes advantage of that to come alive and grow. Exactly. That's why I picked it. You have this this harmless looking white powder. But when the light of the law comes to it, and it was the purpose of the law, was to bring to light what sin really was. Give it its opportunity to uh, bring sin to its fullness. All right, that's good, Justin. Thanks. 
You're not, okay. But I, you're familiar with those letters, I know. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so maybe there's nobody in the congregation who, you know, who understood that. I don't know. But the point is, um, that is what seemed innocent before the law has been seen when the law is applied to it as a grotesque, malignant thing. Even though we are dead to sin and alive in Christ with a new nature, the leftover bits of the old nature will remain with us until the day we go to heaven. Other parts of the New Testament, Paul makes that clear. We're stuck in the body of this death. Actually, it's not in other parts of the New Testament. It's coming up in the second half of chapter 7, as well as other parts in the New Testament. So application. By way of application here, I think the best thing I could do is give you two questions to ponder. And ponder you need to do. These aren't quick answer questions. These are like the final exam at the end of a graduate course. It's an open book test, but it's going to take you 16 hours to figure out the answer. Because you need to ponder this. You need to ponder it for your life. And... One question is, what sins do I have consistent trouble with? That's an important question. Because all of chapter 6 and this part of chapter 7 have been saying, you're dead to sin. You're released from the law. And yet our daily experience is, we feel like lawbreakers. We certainly know that we sin. So what sins do I have consistent trouble with? This question, no pat answer. Matter of fact, it's such a hard question that you can't answer it. What you need to do is take this and make this a part of your praying to the Lord to see. This isn't, this isn't for this spring. This is for the rest of your life. So this is a, a long process. You have to be patient. To illustrate the length of the process, different way than I was going to use it, Scott, but just to illustrate the length of the process. You know, Scott lost his job over a year ago. And he wasn't too long into that process before he started telling me and telling other people, you know, this is all about this spiritual issue. God's put his finger on this thing for me, and I've got to learn this. And that's what God does. If we open the door to him, give him the opportunity, he's going to help us figure that out. That's an important question to figure out because there are some areas that tend to trip us up more often than others. I know one in my life, and I can look back at the thing. I knew him at the time, but I can look back at the incidents where I went through a tough time, sometimes a year long, like Scott, sometimes less. Uh, but uh, I know one thing God has hammered me about is sort of the idea of being self-sufficient, the pride of saying, I don't need others, you know? That's not right. And God has set about informing me of that and working me through that. We've got we've to look for those things because those are the areas where the progress in developing the character of Christ needs to come. Second question, another ponder question. Because I am dead to sin, like the Bible says, you see, the reality is, oh, well then, we should just stop doing those sins we do consistently. No, that's not going to work. It doesn't happen that way. To, because I'm dead to sin, what action should I take or attitude should I adopt to live out the truth 
that I should count myself dead to this sin, that I'm free from the requirements of the law. What action should I take or attitude should I adopt? Now keep in mind, temptation is, okay, stop feeling self-reliant. But we we pick up a few clues. Uh, Paul gives us a couple of verses in Ephesians 4. He says to the thief, and he says, put off the old man and take on the new. He says, those that are thieves, don't steal anymore and work with your hands, get a job, and with your hard-earned money, give to those that have need. So it's not just stopping some bad behavior. It's building in a character of Christ that blows the sin out of the way and builds that positive thing. These are the two things I'm going to leave you with as things to ponder this week. And if you, if you dare, ponder longer than that. And if you dare further, to pray to the Lord and say, what sins do I have consistent trouble with? And what actions should I take or attitude should I adopt? And please help correct this in me. That's the real daring question. It takes a brave person to pray that because God's serious and will take you up on it. Thank you for listening to New Hope Chapel's podcast. Located in Arnold, Maryland, New Hope Chapel is a small expression of the much larger body of Christ that spans across the world. We're a group of believers helping each other on our lifelong journeys to become like Jesus. While we have a variety of distinctives that make us a unique church, our main desire is to be God's church, to love Him, follow Him, to learn from Him, to let Him lead us and change our lives. We are His disciples, and He is our rabbi. Join us in the story that God is writing called New Hope Chapel. To learn more about our church, visit us at newhopechapel.org or check us out on Facebook slash newhopechapelmd. Be sure to subscribe to our podcasts and iTunes. Music kindly provided by the least of these. Thanks again for listening and God bless.